the following statements are true. I have a birthday party in Ebervale that I have to get quickly to after this service, so I can't stay at the door for very long, but Phil will be there. I then have to race back because we've got dogs and a meeting at half past five. All that's true. Or is it? What is truth? Does it matter to you? Does it affect you? I was asking myself this week, should I bother asking the church on Sunday morning what is truth? You're probably wondering that as well. Because the fact is, there's a lot of happy people who aren't here this morning. They're probably having a coffee and a croissant somewhere, or playing golf, maybe not in this weather actually. And then they're going to have lunch, then they're going to go to bed, and none of them have asked themselves what is true, or what's truth. And they're all really happy, yet here we are. Um, I had a bulldog once, his name was Paolo, a British bulldog. He was the stupidest dog in the world. But what went with that was he was also the happiest dog in the world because he never pondered questions like, what is truth? But yet, here we are. <clears throat> I opted in to stick with it because one day all of our comforts, like golf and croissants, are going to go and we're going to have to face the living God. <clears throat> Three Sundays ago, I think it was, the DJ Steve Wright, um, he said, he finished his show with these words, I'll be back for more love songs next Sunday. But that Sunday came and he wasn't there. And all of us, it seems, um, we're going to have to stand before God. And this question of what's true matters because it affects how we live now and what gets us out of bed and what ethical principles we stand by and what we think is ha going to happen when we die, because we're all on the precipice of eternity. And um, so I've opted in. Our job as Christians is also to be helpful to people who are asking, what is truth and what happens when I die? And how should I live? Or is there truth? And we want to love people and help them. So I opted in to ask us and maybe try and answer the question, what is truth? What do you get out of bed for? My friend said uh, on a video uh, I was watching this week, here's the danger of telling people now you've come from nowhere, you're just this gene machine on a rock heading nowhere and you'll soon be back into oblivion f from whence you came. The problem there is on the way, if that is the narrative that's true, you end up making up your own truth and meaning and a massive weight comes with that massive. What did you get out of bed for? Well, he said in this video, if I say to you tomorrow, you meet me at the town hall tomorrow, you're going to say, why? And if I say, just turn up and make up your own meaning as to why you're there, you're going to say, I'm not coming, Owen. I've got better things to do, a better narrative. <clears throat> And if we need a story and a truth to get us to Town Hall in 24 hours, you certainly need a story of truth to get out of bed at all in your wider narrative of existence. It matters in the small and it matters in the large. What's truth? <clears throat> and there are some people I know who feel really lost. 
And the reason is they don't feel that there's a story for them anymore. They're just plucking at ins insignificant truths because you're just a gene replicator at the end of the day. <clears throat> so what's truth? Is that true? What is truth? And that question is obviously worth noting because the person who wrote this little book that we're reading within the wider book called the Bible wrote it down. What is truth? It's significant. And it was asked by one of the most famous figures in certainly literary history. And at this time, Jesus is arrested. He's at the Praetorium, and there's an army there. And the question is asked by someone with an alliterative name, which you can call out while I have a drink. His name is? <laughs> Good. And in this passage, the religious leaders, they're sticking close to Pontius Pilate because at this time, if you wanted to murder someone, you needed the legal go-ahead from Rome. Couldn't do it without that. And he's the guy with the keys to get that job done. So, Pilate's the man. If you want Jesus, gone. And do you know anything about Pontius Pilate? <clears throat> he was the governor of Judea. Emperor Tiberius appointed him probably in AD 26. He's probably been there for four years before this. There's lots about him in history, in the Bible, and outside of the Bible. Generally, he seems to be a morally weak man, and he hid his flaws behind acts of brutality. He's murdered a lot of particularly Jews who opposed him before this conversation you're reading here. And now guess who he's standing over? The Son of God, the divine Son of God. And he certainly resonates with us, or fascinates us, and according to the historian Anne Rowe, she writes this. She identifies this governor as, ready, a symbol of all men facing, considering, or ultimately rejecting the truth. People love to watch Pontius Pilate because in some sense they feel like they're watching themselves as he questions Jesus. And Pilate's been asking Jesus lots of questions, and he keeps on at him, because the Jews are keeping on at him to keep on at him. And, well, here's a big one. Here's verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus knows he's been set up here, and some people have been on to him. And in verse 34, Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you? about me. And then he answers with this whopper. Ready? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And one says, it's a stupid question. Are you a king on earth? Because look around, he's Billy no mates. There's no one there at all. Like, no one really believes that Jesus is going to overthrow Rome. He's there on his own. He's not whipping up a rabble because he doesn't care about earthly politics. He cares about the resurrection and that kingdom and the world to come. And then Jesus wades in on this matter of what is truth. And here's verse 37. If you are a king then, said Pilate. Oh, you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. 
everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So there you are. Jesus says, if you ever ask this question, what's truth? He says, I'm from a higher place, and if you're with me, you'll understand truth. So he gets Pilate to think upwards, up. My kingdom's there, and that must be considered when you ask the question, what is true? So Jesus is an He's not a naturalist. He's a supernaturalist. He's not just a facts man. He also stands above raw biological facts and, and those types of truths. And he says, there's meaning. There's height. There's values. And there's ethics. And things that you can't just quantify in a lab. Beyond that stuff, there's truths. There's a world that I've come from. Have you got that friend that asks you lots of questions about Christianity and never listens to a single answer you give? Have you got that friend? Um, I probably ask, answer tens of questions a week. Most people glaze over when they've done their bit. I get to do my bit. They've switched off because they've just wanted to do their bit. And... Um, if you invite your number one questioner to church, they probably won't come. They just want to rant. You got that, friend? Well, um, Pilate is one of those. What is truth? And with that, he walked away. That's the ultimate glaze-over moment. What is truth? Please don't answer. I'm off. Like, does he think it's malleable, truth? Is it made up? He doesn't want to know. Why does he shrug it off? What's truth to you? Have you made it up? Does it involve Jesus? Or are you going to leave here and shrug it off? Please don't answer that. Because if you have got an answer, I'm going to have to listen. And I might have to make some changes but I like being the God of my world and my truth and my comforts. So I'm just going to run. Oh, what's truth? Or does he think it's complicated and malleable? Is truth complicated and malleable? Can you change it? Um, here's a quiz. I love my wife. How do you know that's true? You might say, well, don't cheat on it. But that might be a variable standard of what? truth is. Because I know someone who says, well, I love Weetabix, but I also love other cereal. And he applies that to marriage. And he tries to get off the hook so you can love more than one. So, you know, you ever thought about that? I got um, a cardigan that I sometimes wear. I think it's cool. <laughs> Neil doesn't think it's cool and bully bullies me every time I put it on. So what's truth? Or is it all just relative chaos? Uh, when I did English literature in Swansea University, they told me there's no absolute truth in any of the meanings of these books. But it was interesting because they said that as an absolute truth. <laughs> so I was lost from the very beginning. But in another sense, it's, it's not complex. And it's not malleable. 
And there are answers because truth is not error. It's just not, is it? Can't be. Here's another truth. There's no Chinese man who's the president of the United States of America at the moment. Is there? Is there? No, there's not. And Jesus makes it even more. Well, quite simple, really, but the problem is it's really narrow and looks arrogant. It's quite divisive. He says, everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me. And he also says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except it's through me. And he also says this, you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus says that truth isn't actually what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me. On the fact level and the meaning level, he wades into it. And he says, right, Pilate, you've got your truth and Caesar and Rome, and here I am claiming the truth to be truth, and we both can't be right. You can't make this up. You can't get this wrong. And Pilate shrugs it off. What's truth? Have you made it up? What'd you get out of bed for? Where are you going? I'll tell you something about malleable truth. This is a true story. It happened about 24 hours ago. I was in my garden. I was trying to be helpful. It's never a good thing. And I was cleaning. And I got to the table, and I, the outdoor table, and I noticed one of the legs was wonky, so it's a glass table. And... Uh, <laughs> turned the table on the side to look at the wonky leg. I didn't realize the glass bit is not attached to the legs. That's a stupid table, isn't it? And then this glass sheet, must be about two meters by one meter, smashed all over the patio, sprayed up and out. My life was in danger, but I made it through. And, and then there was literally over probably a million little one millimeter cubes of glass all over the patio. And um, I got the spade, well, I cried, and then I got it back together. Got the, couldn't call for Rita because she wasn't there. So I had to do this one alone. I had to get the spade, and it was one of those annoying ones where the spade bubbles on top of the thing you're trying to scoop up. Just scrapes along the top because I couldn't get under it. Finally found my phone, asked Rita, can I use a hoover outside? She says, you can't use the hoover because there's puddles. That's a big problem. Um, and I brushed them, and then they went into the gaps of the patio. So they're there forever. And then you start to think, because it's raining. And I was thinking, oh, I was going to have a bath today. Well, that's gone out the window, because I'm going to be here for hours. Um, and then I thought about our centenary next year, and, and then how probably in the, in the next, the one after, the bicentenary, someone will be in the manse, still picking up cubes of glass, thinking what happened here, there's that many. And then I thought about the, do the dogs, what are they going to do? This is a real pickle. And then I thought about the people that come around in the summer, and the children that have barbecues from the church life, and they're all going to step on the glass. And then I thought, well, this is just chaos. And then I thought, 
because I managed to fill up a bucket about this high with the shards. Do you know, what are the chances now, because you start thinking when you're on your own, don't you? What are, what are the chances if I flung this bucket up and then it just came back as the sheet of glass again? <laughs> what, what are the chances? It's, it's zero, if not very close, isn't it? So I was doing the maths. Why? How many shards of glass are there? And you throw it up once. I, and I can't do maths, so I gave up with that equation. But then I thought, um, like one of the most powerful arguments for truth and that you're here and that there's order is the argument for God that he's the first cause of everything. Okay? And... Um, in one of my books, I've got, I've got a mathematician writing a chapter who says if there's no God, but yet we have the order that we have in the world and to you and everything, and then he did this maths equation of the chances that a godless explosion could cause the order that you see now, and that those odds were infinitely smaller than me chucking the thing up as a, and it comes back as a pain. So, secular mathematicians now are saying there's so much order, like it is impossible for it to have come from some non-mind. And um, society at the moment is doing something interesting when it comes to truth. We're trying to do truth without considering the mind behind the order. And it's getting really strange when we're guessing who we are and where we're going. And I'm following a lady at the moment in America and her story's on the news. Well, she's guessing who she is and who her family are, and she's saying it's true but she's not bringing God into the equation. And what she did last week is she took her son to a vet and she said, my son's ill, can you help him? And he said, well, I'm a vet. And the mum goes, but he's a cat. And the vet goes, no, he's not a cat, he's a boy. And the mum goes, no, he's a cat, that is true. And the vet's going to be sued. It's like going on at the moment. She's like, I'm, we're going to take this to court because he says, my son's, he, my son's not a cat. And the vet's like, if I went to work on your boy, I'd probably kill him. Right? Anyway, and then I'm thinking, but if there's no God, no first cause, no order, no Jesus, no nothing, she's right. Of course he's a cat. And how dare the vet say he's not? It's just an utter free-for-all. So, I'm following that one with great interest. And in all that, and whatever it looks like in your world as we guess what we're doing and where we're going and who we are and this, that, Jesus stands in this chapter and says, I'm truth. Ask me who you are, where you're going, what to do, why get out of bed. I'm the one that can handle those questions. Stop guessing. Bring me back into the equation. It's so obvious that I'm here. Speak to me. Ask me. 
I've got answers for you. Pilate, two plus two is never five, no matter how much you mean it. There's truth, Pilate. Pilate, you can believe that you'll fly if you jump out of a 10-story building. You're not going to fly. Even if you mean it, it's not true. Pilate, if you place your life into the hands of Caesar, the Roman God, it's going to be a weight. Don't shrug this one off. Come to me. And the last part of this is me just summing up what happens with Pilate and Jesus. And I don't know, I guess it's what all of us do who reject the truth. So, in 19 verse 1, he has the truth flogged. And, in all probability, Jesus' body after it would have been so torn and lacerated that you could have seen his inner organs. And he would have been beaten until his kidneys were visible. And he would have been a bleeding mess of torn flesh. Why? I made a list of things Jesus has done before this point. He's healed the sick. He's brought the dead back to life. He's asked little children to come to him for safekeeping. He brought the universe into being, put the mountains in their place, and he rolled the seas out. But he also said, repent and follow me. And then in verse 3, they strike him again. And in verses 7 and 8, it frightens Pilate to death. And he has a little wobble where he realizes, I'm harming the divine Son of God here. But then, he shrugs it off again. And in verse 16, he gives up his fight. He chooses popularity. He chooses Rome. He chooses Caesar of Lord as Lord. And what does it say in verse 16? Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. And he aligns himself with a crowd who are whipped up for blood and who'd rather Barabbas be free than Jesus be free. It's a powerful thing when we deny the truth. Did you know that Barabbas means son of the father? They choose a rapist murderer, son of the father, and they kill the light and hope, son of the father. Isn't that fascinating? But we all have a view on Jesus. And did you know, I read a letter that Pilate wrote to Tiberius after this event, and it might well be true, and the Times newspaper says this could be a credible letter. It's really old. And he said this, and remember Satan's at this meeting too. Pilate wrote after this and said, I've experienced the furious anger of the uh, multitude of people before but nothing could be compared to what I witnessed on this occasion. It might have been truly said that all the phantoms of the infernal regions had assembled at Jerusalem. The crowd appeared not to walk, but whirl as a vortex. All of Satan's powers are here to get rid of this truth. And I'll close by ending with one more truth. And I'm going to read 13 and 14 of chapter 19. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. And did you know, and this is true, behind all of this, God is at work 
preparing his Passover lamb for the sins of the world, for any truth breakers. And God's lamb is brought to the place of judgment and he's being prepared as a sacrifice. And as ever with the Passover lamb, and it was Passover at this weekend, no fault was found in Jesus, as the lamb always had to be faultless. Even the priests had already inspected this lamb with their fake trial, and they've said, this is worthy of death. They've done their trial, they've done their job, and that's the truth. And he's offered us up as a sacrifice for sin. On behalf of who? Liars like me. Because years later in Cardiff, there'd be a group of people, and some of them would be thinking like this, I've been living a lie. Is there any hope for me? Can I know God's truth and love in my life, even though I've done so much wrong? And then those people see Jesus as their crucified Passover lamb for them. And they say, I'm sick of the lies of education and of worldly success and of passing comforts and of fading popularity and politics. I need a savior in my life. And all of those people that trust in the truth of Jesus will leave this room at peace and they will know truth and joy like the world cannot offer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.